a businessman well known for his ruthlessness uh, many years ago once uh, talked to author Mark Twain and he made this comment. He said, before I die, I want to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. I want to climb Mount Sinai and read the Ten Commandments aloud at the top. And Mark Twain said, I have a better idea. Why don't you stay in Boston and keep them, he said. And, and that's really what we've been talking about uh, in a roundabout way, maybe. Uh, in the, over the past several weeks, we're talking about a faith that is lived out, right? A faith that works. Uh, it's faith that's obvious, that, that makes a difference, that, that matters, and, and uh, it shows up in our everyday lives. Uh, we can walk through this life claiming to believe a whole lot of things, but is there evidence to back up those beliefs. And that's where James is, is going in this next section of his letter. And so we're just going to jump right into it in James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14 and kind of the second half of, of James chapter 2. He starts off saying, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by, by my deeds. You believe there's one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And, uh, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body with the spirit is dead, without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Well, this passage has actually been the center of some pretty heated theological controversy over the years. Uh, some have said that it contradicts many other passages in Scripture, especially writings of Paul and the letters that Paul wrote when he says that we are saved uh, by faith uh, alone and not by following the law. Uh, for instance, Romans 3.28, maybe the best example. Uh, Romans 3.28 says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Uh, Paul says right there in no uncertain terms that a person is made right with God by faith alone. It's a, it's a cornerstone of, of Protestant Christianity that if we, if we are to have a relationship with God, it must be based on, on uh, our faith in him and not on anything that we do to earn right standing with God. It's a, it's a fundamental bedrock of our belief. We believe in uh, uh, righteousness by faith alone. And, and yet, then we read verses like James 2.24 that says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So it appears to be a complete uh, opposite of what Paul was saying. Uh, uh, James, he's just laying it right out there, and yet it seems to contradict Romans. It, both are in the Bible, so how can both be true? Martin Luther had a solution. 
when he read Romans 3.28, uh, he, he wrote, he actually, they say he wrote in the, in the margin of his Bible, sola fide, which is faith alone, faith only. And uh, it, was, it was one of the key components of, of Luther's beliefs uh, when he was separating from the church at the time, the Protestant Reformation, 1500s, all those things. This was one of the, the core elements that, that uh, we're, we're not saved by what we do, we're saved by faith alone. We don't earn God's favor by the good things that we do. So Luther's solution was drill down on Romans and then he didn't have a whole lot of good to say about James, really. He kind of, at one point, was, uh, was kind of rallying the troops to get James kicked out of the Bible. So I guess we could just do that. We could just throw that throw that book out and uh and and then we could make sense of it all but i think the answer is a little bit different than that a lot of people uh, just maybe maybe we don't throw james out of the bible we just kind of skip over this and and uh we we pretend that uh that, that it's not really there we just ignore james but but in reality in reality, James and Paul are really looking at two different sides of the same coin here. Uh, Paul is saying you can't work your way to heaven. It takes faith to please God. And James is saying, yes, you have to have faith to please God, but the only faith that is pleasing to God is faith that works. It's faith that is evidenced by action. So he's just defining what that faith is that Paul is saying we have to have. We have to have this faith. James is saying, yeah, you have to have this faith and it's evidence. You will know you'll have this, this faith because it's evidenced in what you do. If, if, if it's not, then it's not real faith anyway. James really, in this, in this passage, he really lines out three different kinds of faith. And so today, uh, I want to look at each one, and uh, as we go through each one, I guess the challenge is for us to evaluate uh, which of these three types of faith uh, we have, uh, and, uh, and, and whether we need to make any, uh, any shifts or changes there. So the first is a dead faith. James talks about dead faith. This is a kind of faith that acknowledges certain beliefs intellectually. I, I think this is, yeah, I'd say that's true, you know, but, it does, but, but we don't really act on those, those beliefs. And there are many people in our society today who would say that they believe that, that uh, we'll just take an example, let's say, uh, believe that eating healthy and exercising, that, that uh, yeah, those are good habits and they lead to a long, healthy life. And, and most folks would say, yes, I believe that's true. The science supports it, it makes sense, good diet and exercise typically lead to a long, longer, healthier life. And yet, many of us would have to admit, we're not necessarily living out those beliefs, right? Uh, maybe, maybe you are and that's great, but there are many who would say they believe that's the right way to, way to live, but they're not living that way, right? Uh, they're, they're not eating right and they're not exercising, I mean, uh, they're, they're not on that belief and since in the past there have been times when I have been sitting on my couch watching the biggest loser with a bowl of ice cream um, I would say that I probably fall into that category as well that uh, there are times I say I believe certain things but I'm not necessarily living them out so I guess the question is whether it's that example or or others is it can we say that we really believe something if we're not acting on what we say we believe if we're not really living it out I mean, I can give mental assent to the reality of healthy living, but if I'm not aligning my life to that reality, uh, James would say, what's the point? What, uh, what good is it, he says? Uh, what, what good is it saying you believe something if you're not going to live like it? James uses an illustration there at the beginning of that, that passage uh, about not helping someone in need, um, and, and it, it kind of shows how laughable it is to think that, uh, that, that just saying you believe something would, would do any good. There, uh, I ran across a, um, 
a Peanuts cartoon, Charles Schultz. I, I'm thinking he was uh, playing on this same passage from James. Go ahead and put, there it is. Uh, Snoopy looks, Snoopy looks kind of cold out there, doesn't he? I'll say he does. Maybe we'd better go over and comfort him. And so that's what they do. Be of good cheer, Snoopy. And then they leave. And, and the reason that that might be funny is that they walk away. They don't do anything to help. It's so contrary to what you'd expect if someone's offering help. Snoopy's cold. We're going to go offer some help. So we encourage him a little bit and then we leave and we don't do anything to really help. And that's exactly what James is saying uh, about this dead faith. You are not allowing our faith to change how we act, to change how we treat others. A, a, a theological term that has come up over time to describe this has been called creedal Christianity. In other words, I'm following God because I, I say I believe a certain creed or a certain list of beliefs, but, uh, but that's about as far as it goes. People give, give, uh, give certain mental assent, so to speak, to, yeah, I'd believe that, and I, th- I think that's probably true and whatever, uh, but, uh, but they don't really live that out. James says that a faith like that is, uh, is it's just, just intellectual. It's just, uh, it's, it's dead. It's a dead faith. They say that our, that our prisons are filled with innocent people, if you ask the prisoner, right? Uh, none of them, none of them did what they, what they were convicted of doing, right? But uh, I don't give much credence to that because there isn't usually much evidence to support it. Uh, the judge and jury consider the evidence to support someone's guilt or innocence. Most of the, I don't say they get it right every time. Most of the time, they get it right. The, there's evidence to support the claim one way or the other. So here's a question. Maybe you've heard this question before. I think it's good to consider this question uh, many times. Keep coming back to it. The question is this. If I were on trial for my faith, ask yourself this question. Would there be enough evidence to convict me? If I were on trial for my faith, would there be enough evidence to convict me? Or is it all just intellectual? Or is it all just words? Uh, What do you do? Is God's character being formed in you? Are you helping others? Are you knowing God more? Are you obeying God's direction in your life? Are you truly following him? James says that there has to be evidence. It's not just verbal or intellectual faith, but it's a faith that includes action. If not, it's no faith at all. He says that it's dead faith. The next kind of faith, so I said there's three different kinds of faith. The first faith is a dead faith. The second faith, uh, James is using a little shock value here, and he says it's, it's, uh, it's demonic faith. Uh, he, he says that, that demons have better theology than a lot of so-called Christians. Uh, demons, he says, genuinely believe in God. They believe in the Trinity. They believe in Jesus as God's son. They believe in the death of Christ on the cross. I think uh, many demons could, could very well almost sign the statement of belief of our church. They just don't live it out, right? They, they believe it, but then they shudder. Uh, the Greek here is to bristle. Their hair stands on end. They believe it, but their hair stands on end. Uh, the demons actually... In a sense, they go further than those with, uh, with the dead faith we were talking about a minute ago. I mean, faith is dead too, but they not only have an intellectual faith, it's also highly emotional. There's this, this fear. They, have, they say, yes, I believe, and then they shudder at the thought in fear. Romans 3.18 says of those who don't believe that there is no fear of God before their eyes. Demons go further than that. They believe, and they tremble. They shudder. They bristle at it. But of course, I think you know that demonic faith is not a saving faith. 
Demons do not receive forgiveness and salvation for sin. Why? Because they don't follow what God says. They, they aren't committed to obeying God. They believe it's true. Uh, they're, they're even scared that it's true. But they remain demonic because, because they're choosing not to act on that belief. The true faith and trust in God results in action. It's a changed life. So it's, it's possible to intellectually believe in God and still not have true faith. And it's even possible to, to have spiritual things stir your emotions and still not have true faith. Faith that's real is faith that works. Or in order to get third D on your outlines, because, you know, every sermon has to be alliterated, right? So you got to get three of those things. They all start with the same. Well, we don't do that much around here. But anyway, uh, I, I think we could say, just so it all fits today, that, uh, that, that the third faith uh, James is talking about is a dynamic faith. Uh, a dynamic, a faith that's alive, Right? If our faith is going to be alive and effective, it has to go deeper than just our intellect or our emotions. James says in verse 20 that it's just foolish not to see this. And, and then he gives two illustrations that his audience would have known. Uh, they, they would have been uh, well-versed in these two stories. They would have known these two characters that, that James is, is pulling out of their, uh, uh, their Sunday school lessons in years gone by. Uh, examples of dynamic action-packed uh, living faith and the first one is Abraham in the Old Testament God promised Abraham and his wife Sarah that they if they followed him they would have a child and they would be uh, he would be the father of a great nation and the only problem was that they were old and they didn't have any children and so they had to believe God's promise in many many years and finally Abraham's a hundred and Sarah's 90 and their son Isaac is born uh, just to, to uh, let you know that God does have a sense of humor, the name Isaac means laughter. So, uh, yeah, and I think, yeah, I mean, you can either cry or laugh if you have a baby at 90, right? Uh, just, you know, we can have some testimony on that, I don't know. But, so, so anyway, this, they, this, this child of promise, Isaac, and he's, uh, he's finally here, and it's a celebration, and, and then, uh, as, as James points out, the part of the story that he's getting to, God told Abraham to do something outrageous. He told him to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Literally to take his son and treat him like a bull or a sheep and, and sacrifice him on an altar. And as crazy as that sounded, for Abraham to kill this child of promise, this child that they'd waited so long for, Abraham knew that God must have a plan and so he proceeded one step at a time. One step at a time uh, as he gathered the supplies and took his son and, and they went up the mountain and, and he built an altar and then he tied up his son and he put him on the altar and, and uh, he walked through that process. He gave evidence. Uh, he, he raised the knife to kill his son and, and God at the last minute stopped him and said, you've proven your faith. Uh, it, 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 he didn't know how it was going to all play out, but he knew that God was in charge, and so he trusted what God said, and his faith was active. He didn't just say, yes, God, I believe you, but I'm going to do whatever I want. He did what God wanted, even when it sounded absurd. And so God provided a ram in the, in the thicket, and, uh, and Isaac was, uh, uh, was spared, and it proved Abraham's faith. James points to that story that, that every Jewish child would have learned growing up, quoting it as an example of dynamic faith. Because Abraham believed God and he acted on that belief, it says it was credited to him as righteousness. Righteousness, right standing with God, a relationship with God. Uh, he goes even further and he says Abraham was called God's friend. Um, because of Abraham's dynamic faith, his faith that had been proven, 
that it was real. Uh, he, was, uh, he, he had a relationship. He had righteousness and right standing with God. It wasn't just what he believed in his mind or what he felt, but it was what he did. Then James kind of uh, uh, takes a little turn and pulls out a, a different example, uh, also a story that, uh, that, that these folks that he's writing to would have, would have known by heart probably, uh, talking about uh, someone from a completely different era in, in Israel's history, a completely different character than their patriarch Abraham. He's, he talked about the, the story of Rahab, who was really the complete opposite. Uh, on the opposite end of the social scale uh, from Abraham. Abraham was uh, quite literally the most respected person in all of Jewish history. Rahab wasn't. She wasn't even an Israelite. She she was a a member of a pagan nation that God commanded Israel to wipe out. And she wasn't wealthy like Abraham. She was a prostitute. And so I guess we could say she was uh, financially and morally poor. But as the story goes, again, the story that, uh, that James's audience would have known by heart, uh, the, the people of Israel uh, sent spies to, uh, uh, to scope out Rahab's city, Jericho. They, so they've, they've come across the Jordan River. They're going to take the land that we now know as Israel. And the first step is to take over this city, Jericho, and its big, tall walls. And so they sent a couple of spies just to, 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 to scope things out. And, uh, and, and Rahab helped the spies, hid them from the authorities, and she did that because she believed in the God of Israel and she was scared to death. So both of the things we've talked about, she, she had heard of God. She said everybody around her, all the people of Jericho, were, were frightened uh, beyond belief because of God. Uh, and, and yet instead of letting her faith stay there, Rahab went that next step and uh, passed the intellect and emotion and she acted on it. She, she did what she could to help the people of God. And in the end, when the Israelite army destroyed Jericho, Rahab and her family were saved. And James says that in God's eyes, it was Rahab's faith accompanied by her action and obedience that made her righteous. Again, righteous, right standing with God, not because of what she believed in her, in her mind or because of the emotion that she felt, but because of what she did. And it was because of her action that she was considered righteous. Two different stories, two very different people from Israel's history illustrating the same point that James has been hitting home through this whole passage. Real, dynamic faith is more than intellect or emotion. It's alive and active. This, uh, this passage in the last half of James chapter 2 uh, really gets to the essence of, of what uh, James's whole message is to the church, uh, not only then but also now. We cannot rely on faith that just gives intellectual assent to certain points of theology. We recite creeds and, and uh, we say we believe certain things and, and we'd, we'd, uh, we'd, we'd say, yes, I'm, I'm Christian as opposed to, it, but we're not living it out. James says that's dead. What's the point? What's the use? Why, why even bother? We can't rely on faith that, that, um, that just, uh, we're just afraid or we're emotional in, in some way. That doesn't get us any closer to God than, than, than demons. Real, true faith that matters, faith that saves, faith that transforms is faith that is alive and active. It's dynamic. It's a faith that works. There's a story told of an old Scotsman who was operating a little rowboat ferry uh, between the islands in, in Scotland years ago. And uh, so he, would, he just had his, his rowboat and that's how he made a living and he would row people across to uh, the different islands there and... and um, 
the man had two different words uh, carved on his two oars. So on one oar on this side, uh, it said faith, and on the other side, it said works. And typically, as they're rowing, so he's, uh, you know, they're going, he's, his back is to where they're going. His passenger or passengers are usually sitting in front of him, and they can see these words. And at some point, as he's, uh, as he's rowing the boat, uh, the, the passengers would, would notice those words and ask him about them. And that ferryboat captain, uh, in a way of ex- explaining himself, would usually stop rowing, and he'll, he'd say, I'll show you. And then he'd pull both oars in, and, uh, and, and then, then he'd, uh, he'd take that, that oar marked works, and he'd, uh, he'd drop it in the water, and he'd start rowing just that side. And of course, if you know at all, if you've been in a boat at all, you know they just started going around in a circle, right? And they didn't go much of anywhere. And then he pulled that oar out of the water, and he put the faith uh, oar in the water, and he started rowing, and again, around a circle, this time the other direction, but still not getting any closer to where they were going. And then he'd put both oars in the water and he'd start pulling on those again and they'd immediately start making progress toward their destination. And that, that old ferry boat captain would then usually say something like this. You see, that's the way it is in following God. Just faith or just good works don't get you anywhere. But it's when faith and works are pulling together, that's when you go places, he said. Paul and James weren't contradicting each other. James would agree that we are saved by faith. We're not saved by earning it by what we do. He would just say that the faith that saves is a faith that works. Real, true, dynamic faith has to be seen in our lives or it's not real faith. Faith that can't be seen, that isn't lived out, isn't faith at all. It's dead. So, three, three types of faith. Dead faith, demonic faith, and dynamic faith. And so, our, our, uh, our, our assignment for today is to figure out where we fall in that. Well, maybe, maybe you fall over here, you don't have faith yet, and you're still seeking that out, and, uh, and, and that's fine too. Or maybe you fall in that first category, and it's, it's, uh, it's a faith that, yeah, I kind of believe this, but it doesn't really affect how I live. And James would say, eh, it's, it's, what's, what good is that? Or maybe it's a faith that, oh, I'm scared to death, but it's not, again, really affecting my life uh, as far as what I do. I haven't changed my behavior. Again, James would say, you know, better than, than the demons. <laughs> he says real, true, dynamic faith is a faith that's doing all that we can to follow what God says. And that's the faith that makes us righteous, that brings us in right relationship with God. Faith without action is dead. Will you stand with me? Let's pray together. Precious Father God, as we, as we go from this place today, we go uh, knowing that we need to live out our faith. We can't leave our, uh, our relationship with you or our religious activity within the walls of this building. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us and challenge us. Lord, if there are areas in our lives where we're not being obedient to you, I pray that, that we can take steps that you won't leave us alone until we, till we, uh, we, we take those steps to be obedient to you. I, I pray that, that, uh, that, that you would uh, challenge us and motivate us to take steps that maybe we've been holding back on. Lord, we've, uh, we've said for several years here now that one big thing we need to ask ourselves is, every day is if we're trusting and obeying you in everything. Lord, I pray that that would be the case. 
And, and if we're not, that we'd be willing to do whatever it, it takes to follow you so that your life can be lived in us, so that your dynamic faith would be seen in us, so that others can be drawn to you because of us. Lord, I, I pray that as we, as we go from here, we can go rejoicing that you go with us and anticipating where you're going to lead us as we live out our faith this week. In Jesus' name we pray.